Hey everybody, this is Nathan from Doctors of Running. Uh, it is a very busy time for us at Doctors of Running right now. Matt is in the throes of studying for his qualifying exams. David has a bunch of weddings going on, and I am in marathon week. And so we thought this could be a good time for us to take a little bit of a break from recording um, and keep that time set aside for our family and other things and re-release an episode or actually a series of episodes that we produced right at the beginning of when we started recording this podcast. And we think it's a good idea to re-release because we think the topic is really important. It's all about running foot strike and what that does to us as runners. And the other thing is when we released this, we didn't have a lot of people listening to the podcast. And so we have a lot more people listening now who probably or may not have been able to go back and listen to this. And so, first of all, I want to thank all of you guys for following along with what we're doing. And it's allowed us to make a lot of changes in how we produce the podcast. And that will be very evident right away because the uh, audio quality is wretched in this episode. So uh, the, we think the content is is still uh, very good and, and worth listening to. So if you can just grit through some of the audio difficulties, um, I encourage you to do that. And exciting for us because of the growth and support that you guys have given both through monthly subscriptions on Anchor as well as just listening to the podcast and checking out our other work, we're actually going to be able to have even better audio and video quality coming in the next couple months. And so thank you guys for all your support. But here we go. Let's dive into part run, part one of our discussion on running foot strike. Hey everybody, and welcome to the Doctors of Running Virtual Roundtable, where we three doctors of physical therapy discuss the art and science of running and the stuff that we're putting on our feet. Today is our first non-running shoe related episode. We're really excited. We're going to be talking about something within the world of biomechanics and running. And so today we're diving into all things foot strike pattern. Um, this is a big topic. People love to talk about this, and so we're going to join in on that conversation and hopefully bring you some evidence-based thoughts as well as fill in the gaps with good theory and uh, our own ideas from our clinical practice and reading of the, of the research. I think it would be smart, since this is such a big topic, to at least start with some quick definitions, kind of what does, it, what does foot strike mean, what is foot strike, what are the different foot strike patterns, and what kind of idea do we have of if there are different types how many people are using each one? So, Matt, do you want to take that one away? Yeah, I'll take that. Just a, a warning for people watching this. Uh, be ready for your for any notions you have to be challenged. So keep yeah. that in mind. Um, and we have, what we're presenting is all evidence-based. We'll be adding some clinical uh, curls in here as well. But those are also backed up by the evidence of what we've seen. So hold on to your seats. So... In running, and actually technically walking, so running mostly, uh, foot strike refers to, in the gait cycle, we also call it initial contact, right? So it's what happens when your foot first makes contact with the ground. Foot strike specifically refers to what, it, and what we're talking about is what position is your foot when it hits the ground. So there are a couple different foot strikes. Um, the literature has tried to define these by primarily two or three, depending on who you talk to. So we'll talk about kind of each one of those right now. So let's talk about the different parts of the foot. So here's a, oh, wait, sorry, wrong shoe. Um, 
That was the, for those of you who are just listening, he held up the Skechers Hyperverse sandal. What's it called, the Hyperslide? Slide. This thing is legit. It's on sale right now. They're, they're not, <laughs> not, not a sponsor. That's not, not a sponsor. Um, so front of the foot, forefoot, midfoot, and heel, right? So foot strike is generally defined by at what point do you land during that initial contact when your foot, foot first makes contact with the ground. So people that are considered heel strikers will land with making contact at the heel first. Generally, most people will land on the lateral outside edge for most of these foot strikes actually at the heel first and then start to roll through as they transition to the rest of the gait cycle. So that is a, that's what a heel strike is considered as. Now, rear foot, I'm sorry. Now the angle of the foot will be totally dependent, right? So you can have rear foot strikers that are super high up like this where their toes are elevated and you can have ones that are super subtle like this. That is all technically considered a rear foot or heel strike. Yep. Foot strike is not as common characterized in the literature just because it's really hard to characterize that between a, a rear foot or versus a forefoot strike. But technically a midfoot strike is landing flat footed but primarily at the midfoot um, as you make initial contact and the body further translates over the foot. Um, again, it's very hard to differentiate this in the literature. So a lot of people don't reference that at all. So which is why a lot of this, we're just going to be talking about rear foot and forefoot, but no, that's kind of included. And it seems to kind of blur the lines between the, the rear and forefoot. Now, maybe a, deep, maybe a deep dive for later will be there's later. A, yeah. And then a number of shoe companies that actually try to, put their, all of their marketing towards promoting midfoot strike. Right. Two ups on that, but I think that's interesting just because yeah. that's part of the research. Yes. Now a four foot strike um, is where people are landing much more forward on the foot, right? So around the toes, the metatarsals, a little farther forwards. And most four foot strikers will, because being plantar flex or your toe pointed is inherently linked with inversion, most people will land again on the outside part of the foot and then they will come down as they land in a four-foot strike position, which is why you will see a lot more wear out in that lateral aspect with that, but that's off topic. So yeah, that's uh, landing on the front half of the foot is considered is characterized as a four-foot strike. Now, when it comes to distance running, a majority of runners, both in the recreational and elite runners, will tend to land with a rear foot strike pattern in some variation of that. So David, correct me if on this, um, we have, it's anywhere from like 85 to 93% of recreational runners will land utilizing a rear foot strike pattern um, over a variety of distances. Even among elite runners, um, they will only, only about 25%, so about use a four foot strike, right? So most people used to think, oh yeah, all elite runners are landing on the front. 75% of them at minimum are still utilizing a rear foot strike at um, over the, at, in the distance running. That was in the study from Hasegawa in 2007. Yeah, Hasegawa in 2007. I'll have a reference list of all these on the website, um, and we'll have a full review of this stuff up in a couple yeah. weeks when I finish my PhD stuff semester. Um, so Hasegawa and all took a look at elite distance runners uh, in a 15-kilometer race and found that they're really – there's still a huge percentage of people that even in the the elites that are using a rear foot uh, movement pattern. Um, Pete Larson, shout out to run blogger. Um, Larson had a study in 2011 that also took a look at the like faster the elite runners and did not find a relationship between foot strike and the elite distance runners. Although the data tended to trend that the more, the more elite, the more elite you get kind of the 
greater incidence of more forward foot strikes in distance in distance runners. However, it still wasn't the data wasn't significant. Yeah. Now, we talked about distance runners, right? As you start moving down in distance and you get to that sprint and middle distance realm, that you're going to see a lot more forward foot strike, right? It's much shorter ground contact time. If you're going to move that fast, that's generally when people are going to get up higher on their toes. Yeah. And some of the literature seems to suggest that foot strike is a dependent variable. It's a, it's a result of how fast they're moving and how fast they're turning your legs over. But yes, middle distance and sprint events, it is much more like with that much speed, you, you're going to see more populations up on the front of the foot. Yeah. Awesome. Mm -hmm. I think something else worth noting right now in terms of the numbers, these, yeah. are, these are studies that have actually done observations of people doing their foot strike, not just what people report, um, which we, I don't know if you guys want to bring up the studies right now really quick of like how, how good are people at determining their own foot strike. Not very it's good. Horrible. And there's a lot of good evidence on this um, that people are, it doesn't matter your experience level, people are terrible at reporting what their foot strike is. Um, there's uh, a study by Bade et al. in 2016 that said even experienced runners were wrong a majority of the time when they were trying to describe what their foot strike was. And even in runners that they put in minimalist and uh, shoes or barefoot conditions, still had still were totally off on. And then was that from Goss et al. Yep. Yeah. So, um, yeah, the other one, yeah, that one, and then uh, McKellen et al. in 2014, like even barefoot runners, minimalist runners, still a lot of them thought they were doing a rear foot strike, and, or a forefoot strike, and they're rear foot striking really hard. So people are very, the proprioception of foot strike is horrible. People are, so for the clinicians out there, people who work in the running industry, don't take what they tell you. You're going to have to look at them. Got to look at it. You yeah. have to check it. And just to kind of touch on what was talked about earlier, I think the, uh, uh, the variation in pace and cadence uh, and terrain plays a huge part in all of this. Right. You look at a 1500 or an 800 runner, for some reason, the first names that come to my mind are Robbie Andrews and Craig Angles. But like, you look at these guys that they're coming hard off of that forefoot and they're, they're running fast. I mean, they're running like 337 and under for 1500. Like they're running really fast and they, they need like the, the smallest amount of time possible on the ground to snap off and go. And so in the, in that situation, that forefoot strike pattern is more advantageous. And that's why they do it. But however, a lot of times you look at these athletes, maybe not those two specifically, but a lot of these guys and gals that are running really fast, these middle distance races, you watch them over the course of a long run or an easy day. They're not exactly running like that. And so like cadence changes. And like, this is something that I've been looking at and watching intently. There's a lot of those running documentaries out there with Walmsley lately. And I'm watching like how he runs. I'm watching how like Kennedy Sabakele runs and like this all changes depending on their variables and their cadence and how fast and how hard they're getting after it. And so it's, it's, it's very variable and it's very fluid. And just because you might be a four foot striker in one incidence, you could very well be a heel or a rear foot striker in another. And even if you're a perceived midfoot striker, you still like how Matt was saying earlier, you could be like that. And it's still a heel rear foot strike. You still have that little gap in there. It's not a true midfoot strike because you don't have the forefoot and the midfoot. I mean, forefoot and rear foot on the ground at the same time when you land. So my soapbox is over. Yeah. <laughs> That's why it's so hard to quantify the, the, and like identify a midfoot strike. It's just like, exactly. Yeah. And for people who 
uh, Matt referenced this earlier, and it deals with what David was just saying. For people who haven't uh, done any education in the world of research, they talk, they talk about independent and dependent variables. And um, the independent variable in the study is the one that you are controlling and you're modifying to see what happens down the line. And so uh, what's being proposed by some people is that foot strike shouldn't be necessarily an independent variable. It's actually a dependent variable, which means that as you change other factors, the foot strike will come along with that. So we'll, we'll dive into it, but just think, if we talk about independent versus a dependent variable, independent means it's the thing that you're using to drive your study versus dependent is other things are, are the driving factors and then the dependent variable will change depending on what factors you impose on the scenario. By definition, it is dependent on the other factors at play. Yeah. So now we're going to, there's a, there's a lot of great questions that we got from um, our social media outlets from our fans out there. And we're going to try to use those as our platform to dive deep. But before we do that, I'm just going to run through a few things that we know are differences between rear foot and forefoot from a broad spectrum. And then we'll dig into these later, but we want to give you guys a little bit of a platform. So for a rear foot strike versus a non rear foot strike, there's going to be differences in joint motion, meaning some joints, which we'll go into, are going to move more or less depending on which, uh, which part of the foot you land on. Muscular demands are going to be different. The mode of forward progression, so we will talk about rockers. So there's heel rockers, midfoot rockers, and forefoot rockers, or ankle rockers and forefoot rockers. Depending on how you strike on the ground, you're going to use a different mode of that, of that progression. The ground reaction forces are different. We'll define ground reaction forces when the time comes, um, and we'll talk about how impact peaks play into that, but they look different uh, between the two types of striking. Um, your stride length and cadence and your running economy. So that all of those things are different depending on how you land, and uh, we'll just dive into those things as we, as we get there. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. All right. So here's, here's our first question. Um, which is more resilient long-term, the ankle or the knee? I feel like I hear more about knee problems than ankle problems from non-runners in aging populations. So my assumption is that heel striking will experience knee problems earlier in life, but I'm also not an avid distance runner. This is from Hunter Sipes. So, his questions are, what's more, I think a couple questions in there. What's more resilient, the ankle or the knee? He was implying some differences about heel versus rear foot strikes. Um, and does that affect the longevity of your knee or your ankle, which is more resilient? So first, I think we should start with, what is the difference in loading at the knee between a rear foot and a non-rear foot strike? Let's start there. We can talk about the different joints, right? So we should go into that. So yeah, let's do it. With a let's start with the rear foot strike. So the primary primary joint load during a rear foot strike is going to be at the knee and then also at the hip. So um, in a forefoot strike, 
you're going to see more load at the ankle. So going back to that, muscular forces, with a heel strike, you're going to see a lot more load at the quadriceps and the glutes when you land. And with a forefoot strike, you're going to see a majority of that shock absorption happening with the Achilles. So, and that, that'll vary, right? So um, it should, we should note, by the way, that all the recent literature and all the systematic reviews have found no difference in injury rates between the different foot strikes. Short-term injury rates. Yes, short, at least short-term. Nobody's looked at this long-term. Mm -hmm. We do know from some evidence that some of the more common – so I don't know off the top of my head for women. I know for men as they get older, one of the most common um, running injuries is actually Achilles injuries. No pun intended, that tends to be the Achilles heel of a lot of, old, of a lot of older masters runners. And that for – given that a lot of my – that sounds good? Yeah, okay. Um, a lot of my patient population in the running world are masters and uh, older athletes. That is the most, one of the most common things I see, and the research is also supportive of that being very common. So the answer is we don't know long-term. Based on some of the evidence, it's probably going to depend, right? It's going to depend on which one of your own tissues is more resilient. Do you have better quad and hip strength, or do you have better calf strength? At this moment, we don't know, but it just may depend on the person and what you're better at using. Mm -hmm. What do you guys I think? I think a couple things, you know, you talked about, you know, there's more load through the knee with a heel strike. And a lot of that has to do with the joint motion that happens at the knee too. So right. with a heel strike, you'll hit the ground and your knee will be usually, this is all usually, usually yeah. fully extended. You'll have, you'll have zero degrees of knee extension. And then you'll, by the time your knee is at its max amount of bend, you'll be about 40 degrees of knee flexion. So you're going through 40 degrees of knee motion. At least you should. At least you should, right? So, I mean, that's like a typical um, non-injured runner maybe. Yeah. And, uh, and then you look at uh, the work at the knee or the motion at the knee if you forefoot strike. And a lot of people in there are, are landing with like 20 degrees of knee flexion. And then they go to 40, or they should. And so you look at the differences from a heel, heel strike or a rear foot strike, your knee is changing 40 degrees, which means your quad needs to control 40 degrees of motion versus in a forefoot strike, you're going from 20 degrees to 40 degrees and your quad only needs to control 20 degrees of motion. So the muscular demand, like you said, is higher. The joint motion is higher, um, which means that the compressive force underneath the, even the patellofemoral joint is accentuated as well. So that's a, a difference. But as Matt said, Injury rates don't change, so does that does that matter? Um, now the injury rates do are different. The injury, the types of injuries are different. Between, are different, right? So we know that with a forefoot strike, the Achilles, you tend to tend to see a higher incidence of Achilles injuries, and a, a and a lower incidence of knee related injuries like patellofemoral issues. Yeah. On the opposite end of the spectrum. With a rear foot strike, you tend to see a lot less Achilles injuries because there's also research on there's a lot less stress in the Achilles, but there's mm -hmm. a, lot more, a lot more load in the patella and the patella tendon and everything around the knee, right? So the injuries yeah. are different are not different, but the types of injuries are different. Yeah, and I think kind of to get back to Hunter's question too, you know, he's he's kind of asking about um, resilience over time. You know, you you talked a little bit about the the soft tissue part with the Achilles, 
um, little anecdotally there, but I think when we look at some of the studies out on cartilage within those joints long term, um, I'm going to kind of build a little argument here. So right. first, let's, say, let's, let's start with non-runners. These are just people. The incidence of knee osteoarthritis and knee replacements down the line are, is way higher than ankle osteoarthritis and ankle, total ankle joint replacements. Or am I wrong? No, that is true. Okay, okay. Your face kind of scared me for a second. I was like, oh my gosh, what is wrong with me? I said so, you more total knees and total I, ankles, yeah. Where you're going, though. So, <laughs> do you see, just take that. We, I think we know from your first question, is one more resilient? Maybe the ankle inherently because maybe you could give it that, but that's even a stretch because that's not what the studies are looking at. Right. Um, but there's less incidence of osteoarthritis in the ankle compared to the knee. Part now, of that is also because we walk using our knee and we don't walk using our ankle. Now that's in the normal population. What about the study that we talked about earlier about act runners? So the, yeah, exactly. This, this is where I'm going with it. Okay, good. Okay. So, so, yeah, it's so not black and white. We're going to like confuse you more. So I know. <laughs> so now there's a study out from 2017. So it's a new study. Um, Alan Torn, Jelly et al., um, they did a meta-analysis of a bunch of studies that looked at the incidence of osteoarthritis in sedentary population, meaning non-active, recreational runners, and elite runners. So anyone who wasn't elite, like in the elite corrals, um, was considered a recreational runner. So huge, huge amounts. Um, they looked at over 114,000 individuals. So this is a huge, huge amount of population. And again, um, for, for those that don't know, a meta-analysis is where they pull a ton of studies together, they vet them, they make, they make sure there's low bias and the quality is good, and then they combine the statistical results from yeah. all of those different studies. So you get a huge population with those. And so then we kind of, they didn't delineate in all of these studies what the foot strike pattern was, but we can guess at least 75% will he, were heel, heel strikers, okay? Right, in the elite. Um, but what they found was that there was a lower association in osteoarthritis in the runners compared to the recreational population. So running has the potential to have a preventative effect or healthy effects of the cartilage within the knee. So the, I think... People do not run, right? Compared to people who don't run. So is, is the knee more resilient? Probably not. But is running with a heel strike going to worsen your... Do make you a higher risk for arthritis? No. In fact, it's going to do the opposite, and it could make it better. Get a little bit deeper dive on this. Fun fact of why. Um, I love to tell my patients this in the clinic when they're like, should I be walking? And I say, yes, you should be walking. You should be moving because normally our tissues, our muscles, our tendons, our bones, they get their nutrition from blood supply. So our blood brings all the good nutrients in and then it carries the waste products out. Our cartilage, on the other hand, like the smooth surface on our joints, that has no blood supply at all. Um, it actually gets its, its nutrition from the synovial fluid, which is the joint, within the joint capsule, it's the fluid in there. And the only way it gets it is because it acts like a sponge. So that it's got this really porous structure. And when you load it, which would be like something like running, it squeezes it out like you're squeezing the sponge. It squeezes out all the waste product. And then as it, re as it reforms into its original state, new synovial fluid with nutrition comes in. So if you're not loading your joints, you're going to have deterioration because it's just going to be sitting there with waste product all the time. Whereas if you can be running, this is probably why 
it's preventative against some arthritis on a recreational level. If you can be loading it regularly, you're always giving your joints new, uh, new nutrients and taking out the waste product. And that's this is why, what? You say motion is lotion. Motion yeah. is lotion. And when Fitbit came out and they're like, you should probably walk 10,000 steps a day. They were doing that because they were talking about joint loading. And they knew that your, your cartilage needed a certain amount of loading every day to prevent it just sitting with all this waste product. So that's why 10,000 steps exists. But uh, now I'm off my soapbox. But I got excited about this question because it's like, hey, running doesn't arthritis. Now, hold on a sec, though. But the other part from that study, so the recreational runners who were doing this in moderation had the lowest incidence of arthritis, statistically like huge, significant yeah. um, differences between compared to non-runners and elite runners. So the non-runners and elite runners actually had much higher incidences of arthritis in the knee joint. Correct me if I'm wrong. I think you're right, oh, yeah. That's my understanding as well, yeah. yeah. So one, you could extrapolate and say that based on the fact that more elite runners tend to start being a little bit more forefoot-esque, maybe there's an increased risk. Actually, that's probably not true, to be honest. No, I can't. Yeah. <laughs> the true answer is it probably has to do with load. That there's yeah. some, so, some motion is good, right? There's an optimal amount. None is bad, and too much is bad. You want to find that middle ground, and that's how you're going to optimize that. So I don't think, I'm just joking. It doesn't really, it probably doesn't have to do with foot strike. It probably has to do with how much load they're putting through their bodies. Yeah. So, Exactly. At a certain point, you get diminishing returns. Yeah. <laughs> so, and, just, and more degrading returns, not even diminishing. Like, it's so, chipping away. So to ask that question, which one do you think is more resilient? We don't know. Yeah. Right. Right. Or at least we know that running and loading can be, is healthy for your joints. Yeah. Don't worry about it so much. But, and, and heel strike actually isn't the question. Like right. this is, that's not the question to, right. that actually plays into it, which I'm so glad we had this conversation because I think it often is a reason that people decide to switch to like, oh, I can't load my knee. Right. But it seems, it seems pretty safe. In yeah. fact, protective. Yeah. And some people, they may have to go that route. If you are, you have, if you've gone too far down that road, right, to be able to keep running, that may be, a, there's a lot of options for you. That may be an option, right? Yeah. So if you loaded one joint too much, you might switch, right? But we'll right. get into that a little bit later, too. Yeah. Okay. Ready for the next question? Let's do it. All right. Yeah. Woo. Getting too passionate. I have to take a, a gel and just keep going through this. <laughs> I think this is, a, this is a good question. They're okay. all good questions. Um, so this is from uh, Tan Candio. And they're asking, which is better for the average person who wants to run as a component of overall exercise regimen? And then we touched on this, but which would result in less injuries or joint deterioration? So I think we've touched on the second part. Yeah. We can summarize it. But what about that first part? What's better? From an injury standpoint? Um, no, just for a person who wants to run as a component of their overall exercise regimen. 
I, I th honestly, I think that getting out and exercising may be a more important component in this. Unless they're having an issue, I don't think I would worry too much about it. Because again, we don't know which one tends to be more, tends to last longer. And to answer that second question we already kind of answered, there isn't a difference in injury rates, right? Mm -hmm. There's a difference in injury risks. So depending on the person, that may dictate that. So if you have a history of Achilles injuries, a four foot strike may not be optimal for you. If you have a history of knee issues, a heel strike may not be what you want. Right. So it just depends. It depends on the person. Yeah. That's and I would be yeah. extra careful too to just not force any striking patterns or uh, acute changes in the amount of running or intensity of what you are doing either, because that might actually be the greatest risk factor for an injury outside of already having a predisposed injury that is coming back. Um, that in clinic, have, I know it, it may not be as common now, but a couple years ago it was. Have you seen people that uh, like change their foot strike and all of a sudden something negative came about of it? Not to say it's bad, right? But people yeah. too quickly. Every once in a while it comes up, you know, and it's like, it's like, oh man, like I've been running pretty well. And I heard that if I four foot strike, I'll run faster. I'll be more efficient. My economy will be better. And it's all hearsay for the most part. And they just go and they're like, if I do this, I will run faster. And maybe they switch it up. Maybe they do run faster, but it might be more just because of training, not necessarily because of the actual strike. Right. And then one month down the road from that race, they're out of commission and they're injured. And it's like, I have seen that play out a few times in different people. Yeah. And I think you don't want to change the stress that you're putting on your joints or in your training load too too vastly or too greatly just for the just for the sole reason of like changing your foot strike because you're going to be faster that's like there are studies out there that show i think it's gruber at all that just because you change your foot strike a lot of times you actually have an increase in energy expenditure because you are forcing yourself to change your foot strike and it's not natural to you and so I think that would be the thing I'm most careful about is like getting out and moving is not a bad thing. That is a great thing. Um, stay within reason and stay grounded and do things in moderation and try not to um, escalate things too quickly and um, or escalate two things too quickly or change things too quickly because you better have a good reason to do it. So it, it on, on that note, if I have somebody that's coming to me and says they want to change their foot strike, I tell them it's going to take you six months at minimum. Yeah. It's going to take you two to three months at minimum to start building up the tissue loading capacity to be able to handle that, and then additional months to be able to change your movement pattern. And the reason, one of the reasons we hypothesized what David mentioned, when you start trying to change your movement pattern, gait is, running and walking is most frequently an automatic activity. It's what we call a spinal level activity, meaning most of the signals go to your spinal cord and back down. Your brain doesn't get as involved. When you start involving your brain and trying to change something, that requires a ton more energy and it makes it much more energy inefficient to do that. Mm -hmm. So if you don't have to change that, don't. And if you do plan to change it, you better be willing to work on this for a long time to do this safely. Because again, you are now changing load on tissues that are not used to that load. Yeah. yeah, and it goes either way. Four foot to rear foot, rear foot, four foot. It's not one way. This is 
any direction you go. If you do it too quickly with too much load, that's where you're going to run into problems. Okay, thank you everybody for listening to part one. Again, uh, we are going to re-release the second part of this conversation next week, and then we'll dive into new content after that. Again, if you have any questions, reach out to us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, or you can email us at doctorsofrunning at gmail.com. We'd be happy to answer any questions that we can. We often dip into the mailbag that we just have been accumulating questions from all of you, and so we can add it to that and, and touch on it in a later podcast episode. And again, we'll be back with part two on running foot strike next week.